Father, we do thank you and praise you for your tremendous love for us. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins and that he willingly came. We thank you for what he did for us in dying and bearing our sins in his body on the cross. And we thank you that he rose from the dead. And Father, we thank you that he is exalted at your right hand. And Father, I thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be in your word. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we would receive your word and allow you to do your work in us, that you would be glorified. We commit this time to you now, in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, this world is full of trouble. And if you've been around uh, for very long, you realize there are many different difficulties that come upon everybody in this world. There's trouble. Now, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we realize there's a new set of troubles that come. The reality is when we attempt to follow Jesus Christ by his spirit, trusting him, there are times when we will suffer for doing what is right. This may come at work as you obey the Lord in your job. It may come when people uh, persecute you for for doing what is right, not for being a, a jerky Christian, but for following the Lord and obeying him. Suffering may come at home when you trust the Lord and do what is right, and maybe you have family issues in that. People may turn against you. This may happen in church. You, you obey the Lord, and, and there are those who may turn against you for doing what is right. The reality is, if you're following Christ, at some time you're probably going to suffer for doing what is right, if God should so will it. Now, the reality is also that we do suffer in other areas. There are physical sufferings. There are uh, different types of trials that come upon us as believers. We recognize that. We understand that. And as these sufferings and trials come upon us, how can we endure these trials and sufferings? Well, today we're going to see as we finish up the book of 1 Peter specifically how we can endure suffering for obeying Jesus. But I think the principles we're going to see here today also will help us endure when we have other trials that come upon us that are not because of sin. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 14. And I'm going to briefly go through the context. And again, Lord willing, we'll finish this book today and be praying for what the Lord might have us do together next. Now, if you've been with us on our journey through 1 Peter, you'll realize that Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor. It is around 64 AD, and they were suffering for Christ, and they were about to go through a fiery ordeal, uh, most likely referred to what would happen at the hands of Nero within about six months, when he would bring persecution upon the church. And Peter is writing to show how chosen sojourners, those who are temporary residents, and that's what we are as believers, this is not our home, how we are to live in light of the suffering for Christ that might come about when we obey him. Peter has shared our great salvation in Christ, that we are blessed, uh, that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And within that, in these temporal sufferings, as we had read earlier, God is purifying us. He is using those sufferings to turn up the heat in our life, to to refine us, that we would be uh, those who are useful for the Master. Peter calls upon us in light of that, in light of our great salvation and the temporal sufferings, to fix our hope on Christ alone, 
to live in godly fear, to be holy because he is holy, to love the body of Christ, to yearn for the word of God because God is doing a wonderful work in building us up. We, his, pe- his people who were once not his people, but uh, we, were, we are now those who have received his mercy. And then we saw how we are to respond in the midst of different relationships within this world that we might encounter suffering in. We saw that we are to be submitting to the authority that God has allowed in our lives. And, and if we do suffer, uh, his eyes are attentive upon us, that he is, he is with us in that suffering, and he is doing uh, what he desires to bring about his will, like he did with his son. You see, we've been called to suffer like Christ. Christ endured the sufferings to bring about God's perfect plan of redemption. And we've been called to follow in his footsteps. Not that we bring about redemption, Christ brought about redemption, but God uses our responses to suffering to bring about opportunities for the gospel and to refine us, as we will say. And we see very clearly that within that there are relationships and how we are to respond to one another, husbands and wives, and then how we are all to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted towards one another. When we are persecuted, we're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but do what is right. We're not to be intimidated by those who might malign us for doing what is right, but we're to keep a good conscience. And in chapter 4, we saw we are to arm ourselves with the same purpose that Christ had, to think rightly about our temporal suffering, submitting ourselves to God, trusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously, understanding what he is doing through these sufferings recognizing that uh, if god would allow these things to happen ultimately for our good to those who are saved what will happen to those who do not obey the gospel we are those on our way as we will see today to glory and then at the end of uh chapter four we kind of saw just the uh a a culmination of what peter is saying after encouraging us to think rightly and to love one another and to serve one another In the context of the fiery deals that might come, he encourages us to continue to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator in doing what is right. When it comes down to it, no matter what trials we're in, no matter what's happening, it comes down to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith and trust in him. And then in chapter 5, we saw uh, Peter's final exhortations, first with elders that they are to shepherd the flock with the right motives. And then we saw we are all to humbly submit to God, submitting the youth submitting to their elders, and all of us putting on the servant's garment of humility towards one another because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we need to humble ourselves in those difficulties. Pride makes us think we can take care of stuff. We worry about things. We need to humble ourselves, casting our cares upon him for he cares for us god cares for us so much we need to humble ourselves under his mighty hand he can control it and he does control everything trust him trust him and it's from this point we came to what we saw last week where we saw that we have an enemy that prowls about and within that i want to just review what we saw last week and we'll move into the final portion today Again, we're going to see a final note of wonderful encouragement for those who are suffering in Jesus. Uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to back up. Even though we're looking at verses 10 to 14, I'm going to back up and read through from verse 8, what we saw last week. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren around the world. And then our passage. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon to, chosen together with you sends, your, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Now the reality is we do suffer in this life. Now we've seen in the book of First Peter that some of our suffering can be because of our sin. We're not to suffer as an evildoer or a troublesome meddler, whatever it might be. There's no credit if we endure that. You see, some of you might be suffering right now because of bad choices you've made in your life. You may be suffering because God has brought about what you have sown and you are reaping that now. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. But be encouraged. If you confess your sin, then trust the Lord. You will begin to sow to the things of the Spirit and you will eventually reap from there. Endure those things, get through them, and obey the Lord. And you might even in those situations suffer, but the Lord is with you. Now there are others who are suffering trials, physical trials, whatever it might be. We're going to see today that God is a gracious God. He is using our trials for good. And then primarily this letter is written to those who are suffering for obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, for obeying Christ. So how can we endure suffering for obeying the Lord? Well, first of all, in review, remember what we saw last week. We need to recognize we have an enemy who wants to spiritually devour us. He wants to devour vulnerable believers who are suffering. But we need to, and we are commanded to resist him firm in our faith in Jesus. Again, be of sober spirit, verse 8, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren around the world. Do you remember last week we saw all the places in First Peter that pointed to the suffering that these believers were going through? It often had to do with being intimidated or reviled or, or, or spoken wrong against, maligned, whatever it might be. The Lord Jesus even shared in Matthew chapter 5 that there are those who might cast insults at you and say all kinds of things falsely on account of him. That's suffering and persecution. Certainly it can go to the level where someone hates to bring about physical persecution. But here it was these things, intimidation, whatever it might be. And now we see that there's also someone who takes advantage of believers in those situations. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil. Last week we went through and we talked about that. He is our opponent. He is God's opponent. It says he prowls about like a roaring lion. Lions roar for a couple of reasons. Mainly they roar when they're about to attack. Secondly, they roar to stake their, their territory from other lions. He prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone, seeking someone to devour, to, to gulp up, to, to bite by bite to devour. But we are told how we are to respond to satan's temptations 
You see, the reality is Satan can get to believers if we stop trusting the Lord. If we start thinking things that are not true in regards to our trials, that are not true in regards to the Lord. We should be casting our cares upon a mighty God who is in control, 1 Peter 5. And as we saw, we are to be of sober spirit, thinking rightly, not allowing our circumstances to let our our minds become intoxicated with worry or fear. And we are also to be on the alert. We saw that beginning of verse 8. We are to be watchful, like Jesus told his disciples, be watching and praying in regards to temptation. Because Satan will try to tempt us to not trust the Lord in the midst of those difficulties we are suffering. We have an adversary seeking to devour believers. The context is believers. And there are a lot of devoured believers out there who have seen their trials wrongly. They did the right thing following Christ. They saw their trials wrongly and allowed Satan to get a hold of their thinking. And he is devouring them bite by bite, spiritually speaking. But we're to be on the alert. We're to be watchful. And very clearly we see that we are to trust the Lord. Notice what he says. He says, but resist him firm in your faith. Resist Satan. How so? By saying something against him? No. Resist him firm in your faith, or as we saw literally the faith, firm in the truth that God has revealed about himself and about our circumstances. Firm in the word of God. Resist him. How do you resist Satan's temptations? Those little voices in a sense that come along and say, no, it's never going to be over. Your trial's never going to end. Whatever it might be causing you to doubt, resist him, firm in your faith. Believe what God has said. Believe what he has said. Resist him, firm, the word steros. It means immovable, firm. Be firm in your faith. Don't be wobbling in your faith. Trust the Lord. Believe what he has said. Believe what he has said. And you know, when we trust the Lord and believe what he said in its right context, not not a fantasy of what God has said, applying it wrongly, but what he has really said, Satan's fiery missiles cannot get at us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, be strong in the Lord, and verse 10, and then strength of his might, put on the former of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And we know one of those pieces of armor is the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish every fiery missile. Satan cannot devour you when you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Can he mess with you? Yes, we see that with Job. But can he devour you spiritually? No, he can't. He can't touch you when you're trusting Jesus Christ in terms of your spiritually devouring you. He can't do it. But he does seek a spiritually vulnerable or someone who is suffering for doing what is right. Suffering. And certainly it applies to when you're not doing what's right, you're certainly a target at that point, right? Resist him firm in the faith or in your faith. Resist him. Believe what God has said. Rightly apply it to your circumstances. Let me ask you this. Are you trusting the Lord? Is your faith solid and firm? I tell you, if you're not in God's word, if you're not renewing your heart with his truth, your faith is not going to be solid and firm. You're going to be tossed all over the place and you are a target for Satan to devour spiritually. We are to get our thinking right. We are to be of sober spirit. We are to be watchful. And we are to resist him firm in our faith. Are you doing that? 
Are you doing that? Well, if you've got sin in your life and it's not confessed, first of all, confess your sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He paid for our sins. If you've blown it, your circumstances are because you've blown it. Humble yourself and acknowledge it. Confess your sin and walk with the Lord. Satan can't get to you if you're trusting the Lord Jesus. Yes, there may be consequences you have to endure, but so do the Spirit, and you'll eventually reap from the Spirit. So back in our passage in verse 9, he says, But resist him firm in your faith, knowing something. Here we have an example of what Peter is trying to share inspired by the Spirit. We resist Satan knowing truth that God has revealed. We resist him knowing truth that is real. What does he say here? Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We saw this term knowing, this participle is in, a, is in a Greek tense that speaks of having known already, it's a completed action, and that knowledge is with you today. Having known something, you already know this truth. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Guess what? You're not the only one suffering for obeying Christ. There are other believers suffering for doing what is right. Again, whether it's in a marriage, obeying the word of God, and you suffer at the hands of, of, of a spouse, insults, whatever it might be. Whether it's in, in a family where you do the right thing, whether it's at school, whatever it might be, where you lose friends, not because you're a jerky Christian, but because you're obeying Jesus Christ, whatever it might be. He says, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished, and we saw this last week, this word accomplished, actually speaks of successful completion. God is bringing the sufferings of those around the world. You see that to a successful completion. You know that. They are making it through as they trust Jesus Christ. You know that. Resist Satan. He's tempting you to think it'll never end. It'll never end. You'll never make it through. He's tempting you to revile and return to utter threats. Whatever it might be. Trust the Lord Jesus. Resist the devil. Knowing that God has allowed suffering for brothers and sisters around the world and he has brought it to successful completion. It's from this point we move into our passage in which I believe Peter expands and then gives a final exhortation for us to stand firm in the grace of God. You see, when you are suffering, it is easy to get knocked off kilter. It is easy to get knocked over So here we go in our passage, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a tremendous promise. This is a tremendous verse. Is a tremendous reality that we need to remember and focus on when we are suffering for doing what is right. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, as we look at this tremendous promise at the end of this book, I want to just point out the structure here. First of all, we have a time indicator after you have suffered a little while. 
Then we have a description of the God who's going to do this. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. Tremendous statement. And then we have a description of what he's going to do personally. Will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is a personal God acting on a personal level concerning those who are suffering. So often we are tempted to think, where's God? What's happening? I've obeyed you, Lord God, and all this is coming upon me. No, God is doing good through it. And he's going to bring about good. And we need to see it rightly. Notice verse 10 starts with an and. And. In the Greek it's there also, which means it's connected to what was previously said. Well, what was previously said, we need to be on the alert. We need to have our minds right. We need to resist the devil uh, and trust the Lord, knowing that God is bringing to successful completion suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. And guess what? He says, and here's what God is going to do with you. He's going to bring yours to successful completion. And after you have suffered a little while. Here's the timing. Now, there is a legitimate interpretive question here concerning this verse. Is this personal perfecting, strengthening, encouraging, establishing from God, is that in a little while, or is that little while actually a long while compared to eternity? Is he going to do it in eternity, or is he going to do it in the near future? What does it say here? Well, brothers and sisters, I think this is not simply eternal encouragement. We do have that. We know that God will make all things right. We know that, that he causes all things to work together for good, that we are going to glory. We know that. But it appears by the types of words used here that this seems to be speaking of this life. And I believe we'll see that. After you have suffered a little while. I believe we're going to see that God uses the pressure on our lives when we suffer to bring about opportunities for him to mature us so that he would be glorified that he would be glorified. After you have suffered a little while, you could translate it this way in the Greek language, and having suffered a little while, he himself will perfect, establish, strengthen, and found you. These believers were suffering. They were about to go through a fiery ordeal, but God was not going to let them suffer a long period of time apart from coming alongside and working in their lives that which is good through this suffering. You see, God is a gracious God. He is the God of all grace, as we will see. After you have suffered a little while, it's a promise. He doesn't say the suffering is going to end after a little while. Notice that. He's saying after you've suffered a little while, that suffering sure could continue. God is going to do these things in you. Personally. Personally. It is an incredible promise an incredible promise the suffering has been intense you are weakened broken your lack of strength to endure possibly you're shaken god is gracious he's going to take care of you and after a short time it's a promise he's going to do these things just like he brought about successful completion in your brothers and sisters around the world and you know it So with that in mind, we have a statement concerning his encouragement, concerning the God who will do it. Notice we have a description of the God who will do it. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. Tremendous phrase. Who called you to his eternal glory 
in Christ. We'll get to that phrase, God of all grace, in a minute. But look at this. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The tremendous realities of what's going on for the true believer. What has happened for the true believer. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to share a little bit concerning this idea of being called. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called us to his eternal glory. He has called us to be glorified with his son forever and ever and ever. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're a true believer, this has happened. And if you're not a true believer yet, he does call you, as we'll see, through the gospel. And we pray that you respond. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse, or excuse me, verse chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for what? For salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God chose you for salvation. He says, and it was this he called you through, and it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous statement. He called you through the gospel. He called you out of your sinful life unto himself, unto salvation in Jesus Christ. He called you. It is through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. The good news that we are sinners, but there is a Savior. The Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And we were called, Paul says to the Galatians, we were called by the grace of Christ. We see in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, the Holy One called us. In chapter 2, verse 9, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We lived in sin and death, and God called us out. He forgave us through Christ. In Hebrews 3, 1 and 2 Timothy 1, 9, we have a heavenly and holy calling. And it is through God who is faithful, who called us into fellowship with his Son, Jesus our Lord, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. We have been called out of sin and separation from God through the gospel into fellowship with the living God because of the forgiveness of sins. And there are so many verses I could share about our calling. But he has called us to something. There is a goal of our calling. There is a goal of what he has called us to. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us before, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Colossians 1, verse 21, And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. The tremendous reality that wretched sinners have been forgiven of their sins and and are being set apart right now from sin, becoming more and more like Jesus. But eventually we will be in his presence because we will be glorified and we will be sinless because of Christ forever and ever. That's a marvelous thought. If you recognize how sinful you are 
and how wicked we are and what God has done, it is a tremendous thought to think of what God has for us. He has called us to his eternal glory. I can't even fathom that. But as the Lord Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hey, I'm not there yet, but I want to be that way. Lord, help me do the right thing for you will be satisfied. We've been called. We've been called. We have a calling and we are to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Ephesians 4.1. So back to 1 Peter, our passage, chapter 5. Back to chapter 5. And he says, after, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Hey, this is not it. Is this glory here? No way. No way. He called us to his eternal glory in Christ, his eternal glory. You know, we're going to be glorified for all eternity. Philippians 3, verse 21, God will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, speaking of Christ. Sometimes we need to get our heads out of this temporal reality. It's not that it's not true. It's not that the stuff that's not happening to you isn't true, but we are not to lean on that understanding. We are to look at the truth of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We see the Apostle Paul who, who had a right mindset, who was suffering for Christ. Who was suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16. In, in light of, the, he says basically, in light of what God is doing through our suffering in your lives, in light of what God is doing, the good that he is doing, in light of that, he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, therefore we do not, what? Lose heart. Are you tempted to lose heart in trials? You bet you are. If you aren't, I don't know what's going on, but we're tempted to lose heart. When difficulties come upon us, when, when it's having to do with people we love, whatever it might be, we're tempted to lose heart. And he says here, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It is so much more, these light afflictions now, and he says here, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Don't get bogged down in the temporal realities of this life. It's not it. Don't focus on them. They're true. They're around you. Yes, it's happening, but we're not to focus on the temporal Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans 8, 16. This is the mindset. I had, a, I had a professor in seminary, a Greek professor. He said, this is the mindset of the true believer. Focusing on the eternal, not the temporal. That's the mindset of the true believer. Yes, the temporal is there. Physical issues, all sorts of stuff. But don't focus on it. It's temporal. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 8.16, Romans. And if children, heirs also. 
heirs of God. And actually, you could translate it God's heirs. Pretty amazing thought. And fellow heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs in everything with Christ. What a tremendous reality. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The reality is if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to experience some suffering for Christ at some time. Or you're not living for Christ. He says, if indeed we suffer for him, that we will be glorified with him. And notice what he says, verse 18. For I reckon, I consider, it's not an emotional word, it's an accounting word. I make this mental note in my mind. I reckon the sufferings of this present time, he doesn't ignore them, they're there, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, we are headed to glory. He called us to his eternal glory. That's where we're going. Yes, there are the temporal sufferings, and God's going to strengthen us in those. But we are headed to glory. So after a little while in the life of those who are headed to glory, back to 1 Peter 5, God's going to do something He's going to do something. But notice there's a description of his character. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish you. After you've suffered a little while, yes, you're going to suffer, but God is going to do something in that suffering. He says he's the God of all grace. All grace. Well, what's grace? What's grace? Well, you know, people sing the song Amazing Grace uh, for their loved ones at funerals, but not many people know what grace is. What does grace mean? The Greek word translated grace, charis, in its most basic form speaks of an unearned gift, unearned favor, non-meritorious favor, Favor bestowed as a gift, never in return for any work being done. Simply, it speaks of unmerited favor. But we see in Scripture that grace describes the character of our God, and it can't be disconnected from that. In uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Jesus Christ and his coming to bring salvation is described as the grace of of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. You see, one, I like what one pastor shares, a definition of grace. Grace is that which God does for mankind through his Son, which mankind cannot earn, does not deserve, and will never merit. Never merit. You see, indeed, if you look at the person of Christ, he manifested God's grace in his obedience. Turn to John chapter 1, John 1. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And actually, I went from 1 1 to 1 14. Sorry, you're going, what's going on there? 1 14, this is what I wanted to read. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, what? Full of grace 
and truth. Isn't that wonderful? Unmerited favor. Christ, full of unmerited favor towards us. We don't deserve a bit at all. And it's all from him. John bore witness of him and cried out, This is the one of whom he said, He comes after me as higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. In talking to the Corinthians and encouraging them, Paul shares in 2 Corinthians to, to give the gift that they had already promised to give for those suffering in Jerusalem. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. He took our sins in his body on the cross. He humbled himself, becoming a man. He died for us that we might have life. It's all his grace. We are saved by his grace. Nothing from us, everything from God. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you have been saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, not only did he save us by his grace, he is sanctifying us by his grace. He is making us like his son by his grace. Titus chapter, 2, verse, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live uprightly and godly in this present age. Not only is he by his grace working through us now, what did Paul share, or what did Peter share in 1 Peter 4.10? That we've been given grace gifts, right? We're, ma- we're good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What did Paul share in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Let's turn there, 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul had been caught up to the third heaven, seen things, wonderful things, and the Lord had to give him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, or he allowed it to, to keep him from exalting himself. And within that, Paul learned and shares this tremendous lesson concerning the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Concerning this, this is the thorn in the flesh Paul is speaking of, uh, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God uses difficulties to show us how truly inadequate we really are. How truly unable we are to take care of the things of life. That we would trust him. That his grace would be manifest in our lives that we would, in the context, as we will see, be strengthened and built up and founded in what God has done through Christ. Our God is the God of all grace. And it is from Him, all is from Him, so graciously and nothing from us. So back to 1 Peter 5. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He's going to do something. And it's wonderful. Will himself, 
it's personal, by the way, can perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You need to know this is what God is doing, and he's going to do it. Wonderful truth. And I believe in light of other passages, what he's talking about is the reality of what God does through sufferings. In the midst of those difficulties, it's within a little while, if we trust him, we resist the devil, we, we, we trust in Christ, he produces some incredible things in our lives. And he does this through suffering. We know from James chapter 1 that we're to count it all joy, my brethren, when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces what endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. God uses our trials to make us like Christ, to weed out that sin. We see that in First uh, Peter, that, that he is using our trials, distressing, allowing us to be distressed, that the proof of our faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor through the revelation of Christ Jesus. God allows the heat to be turned up in the lives of his children. Chapter 4, 1 Peter, if God would allow judgment to come upon the household of God first, what about those who don't play? If he would allow his children to go through this, but it's for good. It's for good. Keep entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ is going to do something. Will himself, it's personal, it's personal, will himself perfect the first word. And these, these words just compile on one up top of another, and they're wonderful. The first word translated perfect here, and you may have a different translation, but the first one there comes from the Greek word kat artizo. And what that speaks is of mending something. And it carries the sense of mending something to perform its, its proper uh, purpose, to meet the demands. You, you, when you have a broken net, you mend it so that it will now be workable again to what it was designed to do. He will himself mend. He's going to mend you. He's going to prepare you. Yes, the trials are difficult, but he's using them for good. And he's going to personally do it. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. The God of all grace is going to use it to mend you. Yes, you may be broken. It is difficult. He's going to make you right. He's going to prepare you for what he has. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. As we trust the Lord Jesus... Resisting the devil, allowing his word to work in our hearts and minds, God personally mends us and prepares us for all that he has for us for now and eternity. Well, notice he does something else. It doesn't stop here. Will himself, middle of ten, middle, middle of ten perfect, that's that word mend, or, or bring, bring, bring back to its usefulness. The second word here is confirm. And you may have a different translation there, but... The Greek word that's translated for this comes from the Greek word, well, the Greek word is sterizo. It's where we get our word steroid from. And it's, what, it's, a, it's a derivative of what we saw earlier. Resist him, steros, firm in the faith. This word confirm here speaks of being established, immovable. Immovable. It speaks of setting something up 
immovable. Something that's fallen down, setting it up. Immovable. Immovable. He's going to mend you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to set you up. Immovable. It carries the idea of establishing like the New King James translation. He's going to establish you. When we trust Jesus, steros, firm in the faith, by his grace, he sterizos us immovable. That's what we need. Be encouraged. He's going to do it all. You don't have to do it. He's going to do it. You don't need to do it. He is going to build you up. He's going to establish you immovable. Be encouraged. Notice he continues to compound the glorious reality of what he's going to do, that he's going to strengthen. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect. We saw that. Men, confirm. That means to establish, bring up, uh, strengthen. Strengthen is a good translation. It's going to make you strong. Strong in the faith. Strong in your trust in Jesus. Strong. His grace is sufficient. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. He's going to teach you to rely on Jesus because you're not strong when you're relying on yourself. You're not strong when you think you are adequate. You are not strong when you're not trusting in Jesus. But when God uses trials to cause us to trust in him, we are strong in Christ. He's going to strengthen personally. He's using the trials to personally strengthen us. Is not strength and power what we need in the midst of the trials of this life? You bet it is. But we need his strength. When we've suffered a little while, he's going to do this. Hang in there. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And then notice lastly, he's going to personally establish. He will per- himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The term translated established here speaks literally of setting a foundation. What's a foundation? A foundation is what's built upon it. It's something that is solid. He will solidify your foundation. When you trust in Jesus in your trials, he works out in our lives. He's going to found you. He's going to solidify you that you may not be shaken. He's going to mend you. He's going to set you up straight. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to found you. You're going to be solid in Christ. Yes, these trials look like they're going to take you over. Christ's not going to let that happen if you trust him. He's going to use them to build you up. He's going to use them for good. So what do successful completion of trials look like when the Lord works in us? And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, called you to his eternal glory, and us too, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Tremendous reality. And then we have an interesting doxology here that Peter shares. To him be dominion forever and ever. Wait a second, that doesn't make sense. The word dominion means power. To him be power forever and ever. I think it makes a lot of sense. We are powerless. He is the God of all grace. He is the one who strengthens, establishes, builds us up, founds us. To him be all the power and dominion over everything forever and ever. May he rule over our hearts. May he get the glory. The Lord takes us and allows trials in our lives by his grace to show us we're not adequate. To show us we can't do it on our own. 
But he is the one who has dominion, and by his grace, even through evil that he allows, does not bring, but allows. He allows it for obeying him. He brings about good. He mends. He establishes, strengthens, and founds us in Christ. Stand on it. Stand on those promises. Be encouraged. You're going to make it to glory. And during these temporal sufferings, he's doing good. He's doing good. He's using it to build you up all for his glory. Be encouraged. Well, now let's take a look at the final exhortation in the book here from verses 12 to 14. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends your greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. He says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written you. He's speaking of the gentleman named Silvanus. This is the Silas of Acts. Silas was probably his Aramaic name. Silvanus, his Roman or Gentile name. In Acts 15, we learn much about Silas. In verse 22 of Acts 15, we see he was leading one of the leading men among the brethren. In Acts 15.32, we see Judas and Silas also being prophets among themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren. I love this verse. With a lengthy message. All right. Acts 15, verse 40. And we see he accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey. And later, we see here, he becomes a companion of Peter. Of Peter. And Peter calls him a faithful brother. If Peter was here right now, would he call you a faithful brother or sister in the Lord? Now, he leaves the ultimate determination up to the Lord, but notice what he says. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. From my observation, he's a faithful brother. For so I regard him. I have written to you. Now, what does this mean? Most likely, most think that it's not that Silvanus penned this for Peter, like, like Paul had his letters dictated and penned. Most likely, it's through Silvanus that this letter came to these believers. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. And notice what he says. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter says, first of all, his letter is brief. I've written you briefly. And sadly, most ill-fed movie clip Christians would see this as lengthy compared to what what they receive on Sundays. I have written you briefly. It's just a short letter, Paul or Peter says. And then what does he say about the character of this inspired letter? Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. He has been exhorting, paracleo, calling alongside, admonishing, or not admonishing, but exhorting and encouraging, and testifying, bearing witness to, to what? That this is the true grace of God of God. This letter concerning Christ and what he is doing and what he has done and what he will do is the true grace of God as opposed to the false grace. There's false grace out there, by the way. We know in Jude that there are those who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. They say, God's gracious, don't worry about sin. Well, no, God is very gracious But yes, we do. We are concerned about sin. 
And we want the Lord to help us not sin, and we confess when we do. He says, this is the true grace of God. Well, what is the true grace? What has he shared so far? The reality that we are chosen sojourners, temporarily residing on this earth, destined for eternity with Christ. The reality that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reality that we might suffer for a little while as God purifies us, but we should keep rejoicing in our tremendous salvation. The reality that he calls us to be holy because he is holy. The reality that we are to fear God because of the tremendous price paid through the shed blood of Christ. The reality that we've been born again to a love of the brethren. We're commanded to yearn for God's word. The reality that we're being built up as a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. That we weren't his people, but we are his people now. We hadn't received mercy, but we have now received mercy. The reality that non-believers are going to slander us for our good behavior in Christ as we obey him. But we are to continue to entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously as we follow in his footsteps. The reality that God uses the wickedness of man to bring about the greatest good, or used the wickedness of man to bring about the greatest good, Christ dying for our sins, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. The reality of how we are to function in relationships in which we might suffer, that God would be glorified. How we are to live in harmony together, how God's ears are attentive to our prayers when we're walking and obeying him. The reality that we need to set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts rather than being intimidated and fearing in our trials. Being ready to give an account for the hope that should be manifest to others. The reality that we might suffer for doing what is right just as God willed his son to suffer to bring about our salvation. The reality that we need to arm ourselves with the same mindset as Christ. That we need to get our thinking straight so that we can pray, be fervent in our love, be obedient stewards of the gifts that God has given us and employ them by his power and strength. The reality that we're not to be surprised by the fiery ordeal that comes our way for our testing, but to the degree we share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, recognizing it is a badge that we are on our way to glory and not to hell. Therefore, we need to keep entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The reality that elders are to submit to the chief shepherd and shepherd the flock with right motives. The reality that young men are to submit and all of us are to clothe ourselves with servant's garb of humility. The reality that God is gracious and humble and we should cast gracious and humble and we should cast our cares humbling ourselves because he cares for us. The reality that we must be on guard because we have an enemy and resist him firm in the faith, trusting Jesus. The reality that after we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace will use our sufferings to make us more like Christ, mending, stabilizing, strengthening, and establishing us. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I've written you briefly. It's a short letter. We should all know it. We should all read it. We should all understand it. And notice what he says. Stand firm in it. End of verse 12. It's emphatic. Stand firm in the truth that Peter has written concerning Christ and his grace. Stand firm in that truth. Don't go side to side. Stand firm. Allow God's word to solidify you. Stand firm in it. Are you standing firm in the truth of God? Are you standing firm in the true grace of God? 
Are you standing firm? Do you even know what it is? Do you know what I was talking about? Have you ever heard about First Peter? Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in the word, brothers and sisters. Now lastly, we have some parting greetings. Verse 13, She who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Babylon was probably a code word for Rome uh, based on the, on the persecution that was coming about. And this lady that everyone obviously knows sends her greetings. Now notice he doesn't have a ton of people sending greetings. Paul or Peter, he has this lady here. And also he says, and so does my son Mark. Now we know that Mark was not Peter's son, but evidently, uh, physically, but evidently he considered him a spiritual descendant. My son Mark sends his greetings. And then we have a final exhortation and encouragement. Greet one another with a kiss of love. You know, Paul would speak of a holy kiss. I believe it's the same thing. It's a holy, righteous, it's holy, righteous affection for one another in Christ. And notice the encouragement for true believers. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Peace be with you all. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You can't stand firm in it if you don't know it. You can't stand firm in it if it's not running through your heart and mind. We need to be in God's word, not mechanically, not robotically, but with a heart that desires to know what God says. If you can say you've been a Christian for more than a year or two and you don't know what I've just talked about, there's no way you can stand firm in it. Stand firm in the truth of God and the God of the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your encouragement. Thank you that you will personally do these things when we suffer for doing what is right. That you are a gracious God who will mend us, who will set us up straight, who will strengthen us, who will found us. Father, I pray for anyone here who's suffering first consequences for sin, for wrong behavior. I pray they would humble themselves, that they would acknowledge that's why they're suffering, that they would come to you humbly and be forgiven, and that you would graciously, without them deserving it, work out the consequences that they might be able to sow to you and do the right thing. And Lord, for those who are suffering, maybe not for following Christ, but just suffering. They are following Christ, but it's not directly related. Whether it's physical, relational, whatever it might be, encourage them, Lord God. You're using the suffering for good. You are the God of all grace who called us to your eternal glory in Christ. And for those of us, as you will, who will suffer here and there, Lord God, for obeying your word, may we be encouraged. And may all of us stand firm in your true grace concerning Christ revealed in your word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.